So what do you want to be when you grow up? That's a question that you probably um, were asked more than once as a youngster, and it may be as a question that you have asked other little ones. It's a good question to ask because it often uh, elicits a variety of fanciful answers. Kids dream of things like being a soldier or a veterinarian or a superhero or the President of the United States, which only reinforces how blissfully ignorant they really are. I want that one. At various times, my kids wanted to be different things. I remember one of my boys thought that he should be a record driver. And Benjamin, at one point, I think he was about four years old, we were repairing a mailbox on the Surrey Road, and I asked him that question, Ben, what do you think you're going to be when you grow up? And he said, I think I'm going to be one of those people what talks about animals. He'd been watching a lot of National Geographic and Discovery, and then he launched into a sermon about the blowfish, which was <laughs> fascinating to hear about the blowfish. From Take, for instance, the blowfish. Maybe he will be one of those guys that talks about animals. I don't know. When we ask that question, part of the fun is that we get all sorts of different answers, and the answers change from time to time, season to season. depends on where the kid's at, what the kid's seen, their maturity levels and whatnot. So that makes it fun. You don't know what you're going to hear. But something that you would never really ever expect to hear would be answers like these. When I grow up, I'd like to be unsuccessful. When I grow up, I would like to be completely lacking in understanding. When I grow up, if things go according to plan, I hope I can make some really bad business deals. When I grow up, what I think I'll do is try to make a wreck out of every relationship in my life. When I grow up, I aspire to gain a bad reputation, to be unteachable, untrustworthy, unreliable. I want to be a thief, an addict, an adulterer, says no person ever. No one ever says stuff like that. No one's preferred future includes visions of these things. And yet for many, and, and not necessarily miserable people or mean-spirited people or unintelligent people, but for many, this is where they end up. How, how do so many people wind up in these destructive places? How do they wind up in these disappointing spaces. It was Robert Frost in his poem, The Road Not Taken, who concluded that choosing the path he would follow in life would make all the difference. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Sometimes the roads that we travel are chosen for us. But more often, we're the ones who do the choosing. Do you agree with that? More often, where we end up has to do with the past that we choose. And that's really as simple as it gets, isn't it? Where we end up depends largely on the path we choose to follow. You wouldn't leave here and go to I-95 South and expect to end up in Fort Kent. It doesn't work that way. Like physically and literally, where we arrive, our destination depends on the, the road that we take. Spiritually, this is true as well. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. 
So the message of Scripture is that if you want to get to the Father, if you're interested in, in eternity and everlasting life, there's one way to get there, one path to take, and that is through Jesus Christ. And any other path that you might take, you can take it, but it's not going to lead you there. In the end, there really are only two paths that we can go by. There is a way which God says is right that leads to life. And the Proverbs teach us there is a way that seems right to a man. The end thereof is death. And choosing the path that we're going to walk in this life will indeed make all the difference. The prophet Jeremiah was speaking to the nation of Israel, delivering the word of the Lord to this group that was so consistently rebellious. In Jeremiah 6, you read this. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That last part sounds pretty enticing, doesn't it? Rest for your souls. The sin of the people was so great in Jeremiah's day that the good way had become obscure, less traveled. It was not easily seen. It wasn't easily recognized. You know, that's what happens when a path isn't used. It grows over. Maybe you, maybe you can think of some paths that you traveled when you were a child that don't even exist anymore. They're grown over. The weather has come in and washed them away, swept them away. You'd never even know some of these paths were there. When I was a kid growing up here in Ellsworth, I spent a lot of time on the Surrey Road where my grandmother lived. And sometimes my adventures through the woods on the Surrey Road would take me to the Bonzi Wharf Road. In its day, the Bonzi Wharf Road, um, which went down to the Union River, was, um, was important for Ellsworth's commerce. The river is what attracted people to this area in the first place. So the Wharf Road was an important road. So in its heyday, it was well-traveled, and it was an important road. But 45 years ago, when I'm wandering around out there in the woods, it's really not a road. It's just a way that used to be there. And the only reason I know it's there is because my dad showed me and told me what it was. This old wharf road. That was 45 years ago when it was barely recognizable and only discernible if you knew it was there and you went and found it. Today, the Bonzi Wharf Road does not exist. You could not find it. There is no way that you could walk through that patch of woods and say there was a road here once. Because when an old road isn't used, it kind of disappears. So that's the good way of God. That's what Jeremiah is saying. There's a way of morality. There's a way of blessing. There's a way of integrity. This is a, a good path that you can follow. But the people of Israel in that day weren't following it. And so it wasn't easy to spot. He told them they had to stand and look for it. They didn't know where it was. They had to ask, where are these ancient paths? What, what is the right way? And I wonder if you might agree with me that it, that it is fair to say today the same thing about the good way of God, that it's not so easily discernible, that it's not so easy to spot, that it's not so prevalent as it once was, that it's not used the way that it used to be used, and therefore it's kind of fading. It's certainly out of vogue. The ancient past that bring rest to souls are no longer considered. They're no longer walked by most. It doesn't mean that we're not still looking for rest for our souls because we are. We still need to have our thirst in life quenched, but we are, as author Stephen Hopps says, really busy about sipping salt water. 
doing the things that we think will bring rest and peace and comfort and tranquility and what it is that we're looking for, but actually engaging in behaviors and harboring attitudes that do just the opposite, really only make us more thirsty. Well, the ancient paths that bring rest to the souls that are no longer considered or walked by most still exist. And even though believers may struggle today to know the difference between the past, the way of man and the way of God, that's a good reason for us to come as we are this morning to the beginning of a study in the book of Proverbs. This morning we start a series called Ancient Past, Finding the Ancient Past. Now when I first pondered this series, which is years ago, I not that you need to know, but I keep folders of potential sermon series all over the place. And I will never live long enough to preach these, all these ideas. So when I first started this series, I actually had a title, an interesting title, I thought, catchy at the time, you know. Uncommon sense. You know, maybe you hang the un off the side and then it says common sense. And then I, but honestly, when I thought about that, I thought, man, that's kind of snarky really is. It's, 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 it's snarky. It's, it's almost as if saying, I've got some sense. We've got some sense. You poor people out there don't have any sense. And that's not a message that, that a Christian church wants to put out. As we get into the book of Proverbs, we'll see that, that many Proverbs are addressed to the simple. And you read that and you think, oh, somebody's simple. Not simple as in delayed or unable to process, but simple as in not understanding, simple as in truly ignorant. Like God has a great way for us to live, but not a lot of people know about it. And would we know about it if it weren't for the grace of God? See, that's the thing, and that's why we can't be snarky. What do you have, Christian, that you have not received, is what the Bible would ask. And the answer is nothing. If we have any wisdom at all, it's because God has graciously shown it to us. And so the ancient past, an introduction to Proverbs. Having said that, let me encourage you, uh, members of United Baptist Church, if you haven't been in the book of Proverbs lately, to jump into the book of Proverbs and begin to read. I would hope that before we're through with this series, we'll be in here for a couple of months anyway, that you will have read through the book of Proverbs several times. Uh, if in your reading you come across things that don't make sense to you, things that you have questions about, please do take a note of that. Uh, you can email me, you can text me, you can call me, you can see me, and I'll do my best to answer some of your questions. If a lot of you have the same questions, I'll probably just work it right into the messages. So feel free. Read through the book. Anything that doesn't make sense to you, that stands out, you want, you want commentary on, make a note and let me know. All right? So let's get into this introduction uh, of Proverbs. Proverbs is one of five books in the Bible that falls in the category of wisdom literature. The others are Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and Job. Wisdom literature tends to be heavy on the poetry side. That makes it uh, fun for some people and horrible for others. Like some people are like, oh yeah, poetry, and others are like, oh, I hate poetry. So this might be a blessing for you as it falls into your wheelhouse of the kind of stuff that you like to read. It might be tough for you to slog through this. Um, hopefully you'll develop an, uh, an appreciation for poetry. But it's not really the Poetry that sets it apart is wisdom literature, however. Its emphasis is on understanding, attaining wisdom for all aspects of life. That's what wisdom lit is. And including and especially having to do with our relationship with God 
in our relationship with others. I think you probably would agree with me that current events have left a lot of us shaking our heads and wondering where the wisdom went. Um, that we are looking and trying not to be hypercritical and trying not to be arrogant, but also kind of going, what is anybody thinking? And what, what is behind it? When, when folks are opening their mouths here, we have many, many leaders who are uh, apparently learned and educated, intelligent, and they're saying things and doing things that, that puzzle us, that perplex us. They're allowing some things and not allowing others. It's a confusing time, right? I mean, it, what is going on here? And maybe that's why Ravi Zacharias, the late Ravi Zacharias, said this. He said, you can only learn so much from books. You can only learn so much from education. Ultimately, it's the wisdom of God that will carry you through the toughest situations of life. It's a wisdom of God that we need because it's the wisdom of God that's going to help us to navigate these rough waters. This is just a perfect time for us as God's people to, to receive an infusion, don't you think, of God's wisdom to help us see things plainly and clearly and, and, and to view things in a way that's going to honor our God. So just in the interest of full disclosure, the book of Proverbs can be a tough one to read. Some of you already know that. Um, as I just mentioned, it's poetry, but it's not just poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. And what that means basically is it's not narrative, it's not a story, so it doesn't have a beginning, middle, end. You don't look for, you know, it's harder to read that way for those of you who like the plot and storyline. Related to that, you've probably noticed this, Proverbs tends to skip around a bit, especially after the first nine, ten chapters. It, it becomes almost, it feels uh, scattered. There are multiple sayings on multiple subjects in one chapter, and uh, that can leave us feeling a little overwhelmed. Like, what is this, what is this about? Uh, in a single chapter, for instance, one may encounter teaching about the reward of personal discipline or the goodness of an excellent wife or the folly of social status or how you should treat animals or why you shouldn't gossip and the importance of hard work and the way of a fool. You know what I did to figure that out? I went to Proverbs 12 and I flipped my Bible open. I said, what's it talking about? And I just listed a few of the things. That's half of Proverbs 12, not even. So that's, that's what it's like to read Proverbs, right? It, can, it, can, it covers a lot of territory and it sometimes can be hard to follow. Also, it's, it's an ancient book. It's an old book. And so where it originates and the time frame in which it was written we find in Proverbs a lot of references to cultural norms and traditions and trends that you and I in, in, in America in 2020 just aren't going to readily grasp. For instance, we don't, we don't have any experience really with kings. In Proverbs, we'll talk about kings. Uh, we don't know about weights and measures. That's in there quite a bit. But what is a weight and a measure? How does that translate to, in, in our society and in our life? We don't have city gates, so to speak. We don't have city walls. So. In order for us to really grasp Proverbs, we're going to have to do a little bit of digging to understand its original context. And frankly, that's something that we should always do. We aren't always disciplined to do that, but that really is the way to read the Bible. In other words, we always want to be answering the question, what would this say to the original people first? First people who heard this, what would they have heard and how would it apply to their life? If we can figure that out, then we're in a position to, to apply it to our own. Also, we are reading these Proverbs, I believe everybody's reading them in English. Do we have any Hebrew scholars in the, in the crowd? We have none, including me. I can't, I can't read that. And so we're reading a translation, right? You know, one of the things that happens in translation is that the, the pithiness or the 
catchiness of a proverb can be lost. It just it, it doesn't translate well. Um, so that's something that we may read a portion of it and go, what is that all about? In, in the original, it had alliteration, or it had a rhyme, or it had a particular meter that would make it stand out. In our culture, for instance, we have things that we say like, uh, a stitch in time saves nine, or a penny saved is a penny earned, or a doc- uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. And uh, be- Those things are memorable because they rhyme or because they have a meter to them. We lose some of that in, in the translation. Uh, so that also makes Proverbs kind of tough. And so uh, you probably are wondering, if it's this hard, Scott, why are we doing it? Um, because we're not afraid of hard things at United Baptist Church. Um, it's important that we tackle God's word. And one of our commitments as a, as a body is to try to tackle the whole of God's word, all of, all of the counsel of God's word. In, in, in other words, not to avoid the hard things or stick with just the easy things. It is our tradition here, our habit generally, to preach expositionally through books of the Bible. And in preaching through books of the Bible, we want to preach through all the genres that the Bible has. And, and that is good for you, I believe, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, again, it exposes you to the whole counsel of God's Word. Uh, another, another good thing about, about going through all the different genres is that it doesn't allow your pastor to navigate away from the hard texts. I mean, haven't you ever come across something in the Bible that I wish that wasn't in there? Well, let's just pretend, right? And, and look, you think a pastor gets to choose what he's going to preach, and same thing. You, you read a controversial passage of Scripture, and you're like, I don't want to say that. I'm going to climb in the pulpit with a target on my head. This is horrible. No. So it, it makes us deal with the hard stuff and the tough stuff and the things that are that are hard to understand. And the other thing, the reason it's good for you that we preach through all the books and different genres is it stops me or whoever's preaching from having uh, one or two soapbox issues, you know, that we just keep circling back to. And after like three months, you're like, we've heard this three times. But when we're pushing through texts, we're challenged simply to exegete the text and to figure out what God has to say and to do it that way. So there's lots of reasons why to go through even a hard book that are beneficial for you. And I pray that this series, um, I think, is particularly relevant for our culture. I mean, right, up is down, and down is up, and right is wrong, and wrong is right, and these are confusing times, and I've never lived in a time any more needful of God's wisdom than this. And so I pray that what we'll accomplish through this series is that you as believers will be strengthened, edified, that you will be hearing from God's word and you will be equipped then to go and understand some of what you're seeing, some of what you're hearing, or how you should respond and how you should be. So for believers, I pray that this would just be an edifying experience. Proverbs is written primarily to a young audience. I'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But um, that doesn't mean it's not for everybody, okay? But one of my goals or one of my hopes is those who are younger, who have been fed perhaps on more of of a secular humanistic diet, who have taken in a lot of the culture and whose values have been shaped more by by, uh, a classroom or a a philosophy that is anti-Christian than the Bible itself, my hope would be that this series would challenge some of those thoughts and, and make you younger people think through what you really believe and why you believe it 
this was written uh, to children and to youngsters in formative years so that they would know God's ways and walk in them. And that would be my hope, too, is that what we'll see as we go through Proverbs is there's a wisdom in the Bible that transcends all the wisdom of man. There is just something so unique and something so special and something so powerful about the Word of God that it doesn't compare to some of the stuff that we're being fed and being told is right and good. So that's another hope that I have coming out of this thing. And a, a final hope from the series for me would be anybody with an earshot of these messages, whether you're listening online, live stream, podcast, here in person, anybody who doesn't have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ would come to know the Lord through these and would, again, be impressed by who he really is and what he really says and how different God is uh, than what the secular world is offering. A few more introductory thoughts, and then we'll wrap this up. Who wrote Proverbs? If you have your Bibles with you and you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 1, this would be a good time to do that. If you wonder where it is, you'll find it sandwiched between the Psalms and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs chapter 1. Who wrote this book? Well, when we read through the whole thing, we're going to find several contributors. But chapter 1, verse 1, gives us an answer to who is responsible for a good portion of the book. Read something like this, a little different depending on your translation, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Is that what you're looking at? Okay, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. The Proverbs originate with Solomon. And the next question we can answer this morning is, who's he writing to? And there are a couple of right answers to that. Verse 8 of chapter 1 gives us some insight. In verse 8 it says, hear or listen, my son, to your father's instruction. So we can understand this book narrowly as written by a father. The Proverbs is a letter or a series of writings written from a father to a son. We also can understand it a little bit more generally, right? Because it's part of God's word, therefore it is uh, a letter written by our Heavenly Father to us, his children. Proverbs is a cachet of heavenly wisdom to be applied along the journey of our growing up. The teaching of Proverbs is geared generally, as I said, to the young. But even if we are grown up physically, we never cease to grow spiritually. If you are here today and you think you could read maybe a couple more chapters and that's the end, you've arrived on your spiritual journey, I think you're delusional, only because the Bible says that we are constantly being transformed. Nothing against you, it's just the nature of what we have going on here. God is always teaching us, God is always uh, pruning us, God is always shaping us and refining us, so we really are always growing spiritually. Those of us who given up growing up and now we're just growing out are still growing spiritually and I pray that that you feel that you are growing spiritually so that what I'm saying is the teaching of Proverbs is is fit and applicable to a broad array of people irrespective of your age irrespective of your faith position your station in life it's written by a father to a child what's the purpose What's the last thing we'll tackle what is the purpose or the intent of the book of Proverbs. If you look at verses 2 through 6, this first section is often called the preamble of Proverbs. The purpose of the Proverbs is for the reader to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, 
to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So the purpose here is to know wisdom and instruction. Author and Pastor Ray Ortland has a commentary on Proverbs. It's called Wisdom That Works. And he summarizes Proverbs 1, 2 through 6 like this. He says, God has two goals for us in the book of Proverbs. Verse 2 states them. One is deep character and the other is straight thinking. So, if you're interested at all in deep character and straight thinking, this is a series for you. Proverbs is for you. He says, to know wisdom and instruction, that's deep character. To understand words of insight, that's straight thinking. Verses 3 and 4 tell us more about deep character. Verse 6 tells us more about straight thinking. Verse 5 is a parenthesis, urging even wise people to keep growing. Everybody can take a new step with the Lord. The simple, the youthful, the wise, everybody can be on a growth edge together. We can be a community of growing people. So as we push into this book, you can expect to hear messages on things like the heart. What does the Proverbs say? What does the Bible say about my heart? You can expect to hear messages on the issue of money. You can expect to hear issues, uh, uh, messages on the issues of relationships. Uh, you can expect to hear issues on what true wisdom is and what folly looks like how to live with others, how to worship God. There's so much in this book. I haven't even, I, I, it's hard to get it down into the time frame that I think we're going to get, like 12 messages. But I hope and pray that you'll find this to be a very practical series, that you'll be, be able to leave worship every Sunday and go, either I didn't know that or I'm glad to be reminded of that, or wow, our God is pretty amazing to have said that so long ago. And it matters to me right now. So coming full circle, right? Whether we grow in faith as individuals or whether together as a church we become this growing community of people is going to depend on what? If I come full circle, where we go and where we end up is going to depend on the path we choose. Proverbs is a revelation of the ancient path. These are the ancient paths that God would have his children to walk in. These paths are not valuable or good for us simply because they're old. And old stuff can be fascinating, can be, it can be intriguing. Anybody watch Antiques Roadshow reruns? I, I know it's a sickness, but I do, you know. Oh, it was worth $2,500 back in 19-whatever, 92, or... You know, and it's worth this now, and oh, that's interesting. But how many times the Antiques Roadshow, somebody drags in some nasty old dusty thing that they pulled out of the barn, and they think, oh, I'm going to get rich. And the person looks at it and goes, yeah, $25. Just because it's old doesn't make it valuable. So we're not talking about ancient past. Well, these are good because they're old, right? Because some people say that all the time. Well, let's go back to the old days. Sometimes I'm like, uh, do you remember the old days? You know? Some of those old days weren't so great. This series, these ancient paths aren't just good because they're old, but listen, they're good and valuable because, beloved, they are eternal. Because this is God's wisdom. God's way always has been, always will be, never changing. 
The ancient pasts are right. The ancient pasts are true. The ancient pasts are relevant. The ancient pasts are timeless, and they lead to life. And Proverbs is an invitation by God to us and an explanation of how you and I can walk in deep character, how we can have straight thinking if we will stay in the light of God's highway.